Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Monday, February 1st, 2010, and we're delighted to have Karen Cater here. Hi, Karen. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Appreciate it. Karen is the Director of the Office of Education Technology for the U.S. Department of Education, and we're going to talk today about the National Education Plan, the 2010 plan. The Future of Education is sponsored in part by my employer, Illuminate, now Blackboard Collaborate. The project I work on is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators, as fate would have it, uh, that has Illuminate baked in. We sure hope that you'll come and enjoy using it. We've um, especially made it particularly for educators. Coming up on the Future of Education tomorrow, David Wiley talks about open education. On Thursday, uh, Karen Hume talks about her book, Tuned Out, and David Perkins on Making Learning Whole, Kevin Kelly on What Technology Wants. John C.D. Brown comes on on the 22nd to talk about his new book, The New Culture of Learning. You can see lots more fun there. I don't think anything's been added since our last few shows, but Mitch Resnick uh, coming up, which should be a lot of fun. Don Smithmeyer on crowdsourced learning and the new SOFIA program. really should be interesting. Um, anyway, we hope there's something there that you're interested in. Hearing about. If you've missed the show, they're all recorded, both in the full Illuminate version and MP3 form. There's a podcast stream. Uh, we did talk last week to Michael Horn and Gary Stager, and then before that, Barnett Berry, Yong Zhao, Will Richardson, Ira David Sokol, Alfie Kahn. Again, we hope there's something there that's of interest to you. It's a lot of fun. Futureofeducation.com. Look for the link to previous shows. Two. Um, educational technology events coming up where we get to do a lot of crowdsourcing activity. The first is the Q Conference in Palm Springs in March. Uh, we have an EduBloggerCon. That's a free uh, event for anybody who wants to come talk about social media and education. That's on March 16th from 4 to 8 p.m. You do not need to be registered for Q to attend. Um, but if you are registered for Q and you stay, we will also have a Bloggers Cafe. And we'll be doing Q Unplugged again this year, where anybody who wants to can present. There's a presentation area, and we will stream it out. So if you've always wanted to present at Q, where there's something new and topical, please feel free to go to qunplugged.com. Sign up there. Uh, also coming up at ISTE, our annual Big Edu Blogger Con, all day Saturday, the 25th of June. Always a lot of fun. Hope that you'll consider joining us for that. We are in Philadelphia again, which should just be a blast. Of course, the Bloggers Cafe, the, what we think of as being the most popular place at ISTE, uh, will be there at ISTE as well. And ISTE Unplugged, a similar uh, unconferency kind of streaming activity where if you want to present, you may. So hope you'll consider one of those two events. If this is your first time at Illuminate, we do um, like you to participate. You can see that you have an ability to chat in the chat area. Uh, with a group of this size, it's always good to go up to View Layouts and switch yourself to the Wide Layout. It's a lot easier to see the chat in the Wide Layout. And just because you put something in chat doesn't mean that Karen or I will actually see it. It's hard to concentrate and do all of this. So if we miss a question, please feel free to post it again. Uh, it does help to keep the chat related to the interview. So uh, a lot of side chatter can often be distracting, so we encourage you to, to try and keep that at a minimum. At the bottom of the participant window, you'll notice some emoticons. Smiley face, clapping hand, confused look, thumbs down. Those are a lot of fun to express your feelings during the show. We expect a lot of smiley faces, of course, and clapping. The, to the left of that, those emoticons is a hand with a green up arrow. And that allows you to raise your hand. When we go to Q&A, you can raise your hand, and we will give you the microphone. If you'd like to, to, to ask a question through the microphone on your computer or your headset, please be sure to go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard now to make sure that your microphone is configured correctly. Now we're going to give you a chance to indicate where you're participating from. Expect that this will be a, a largely United States audience, but you never know. A lot of fun for you to put a shout out in the chat. Let us know um, where you are, what the time and the temperature are. So we've got Asia, we've got Europe, we've got South America, United States, Alaska. There was a fair amount of Twitter chatter about this interview, Karen. I, I think you should you should feel good about that. 
a lot of people from all over the place, that's for sure. I see a lot of a lot of uh, names I recognize from up there in Alaska and out in California and points between here and there. Wherever you are participating from, we're sure glad you've joined us. If you're listening to the recording, thanks so much for taking the time. So Karen, I read a lot of this report. I can't say that I read all of it. It, uh, it was pretty dense for me. I mean, I had to really pay attention. And maybe about four hours in, I <laughs> skipped some pages. Um, I'm really interested in the process and sort of the vision of the, of the document. Um, but before we get to that, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. So could you give us a, sort of a brief biography for yourself? Sure, I could give you the, the quick the quick summary is uh, 17 years in public education in Alaska after growing up and going to school, high school, college in Massachusetts. Went to Alaska, spent 17 years there in public education. Then I went to California and spent 12 years at Apple. And now I've been in uh, federal government for a year and two months. So that's the, that's the quick version. But I've, uh, my first degree was early childhood education and I've taught everything through college courses and um, and uh, that's I guess that's the that's the quick version. Are are there any personal passions of yours that um, come out in this report? Um, I mean, I would just say my personal passion is is for engaging, inspiring, interesting learning environments, and that was really the kind of the guiding guiding force. I would say is how do we really get kids to lean forward, pay attention, get involved, get engaged. Um, really focus in on what they're interested in, what they, um, what will bring them to the table of learning, so to speak. It's um, so I would say, I mean, that totally intersects intersects with my own personal passions. I guess through my whole career, I've had the, uh, you know, the, it's been always been hard to tell where my work life and uh, kind of personal and social life start and stop. Um, I've always been, uh, uh, I've always been lucky to have great friends that I've worked with and um, lots of people that I've collaborated with over the years. I see uh, Skip, Skip Vi out there on the screen and we worked together in the, geez, I don't know, late 80s, I guess. Uh, and so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been a great ride and it continues to be. And so I, get, I would say that the plan is really kind of a, a point in time compilation, but um, more importantly, the plan is was the work of just an entire uh, an entire um, large population of people who either um, worked intensively on it or weighed in on it or provided ideas or case studies or research projects or um, you know things they were doing in their classroom. I mean, it really stood on the shoulders of some just amazing giants out there and. Um, Really is a is a is a piece of work that's a point in time. It's a point in time that says we are absolutely um, ready to leverage the power of technology to totally um, transform the American education system. So before we move there, I wanted to ask you one more question about your own career. So uh, the teaching is often described as a very isolating experience. Uh, then you move to Apple, which is uh, you know, a very Intense business environment, and now you know a more bureaucratic environment. Did did Apple serve you well in transitioning to the kinds of ways in which things get done in a government position? You know, um, that's a great question, and I'd, I'd have to sort of think about it a little bit. But I guess right off the top of my head, I mean, first of all, my my whole career has been, I would say, a very social career, um, working with a lot of different people. I've always been fascinated at kind of the at, uh, with the kind of evolution of ideas, and it's hard to track back which conversations or which um, you know what input had you know different um, provided different inspiration and, and that kind of thing. So I think that it's I think that that even though you know teachers close their door and go into their classroom, I think that overall it's it is quite a um, quite an interactive um, occupation, even though we sort of to think that it's uh, it's it's more uh, isolating, but the um, so I would say so that's you know the first thing I would say is just all of it. But the second thing I would say is that um, 
I guess I've always just tried to um, get things done in whatever environment I'm in. So in some places, in some instances, it was harder to get things done at Apple because there were a lot of, you know, some of the rules and regulations in place. And in some cases, it's harder to get things done in government with different rules and regulations. But I think overall, I've been very lucky to always be in environments where people around me are very committed to doing the right thing and, and getting good work done. So, um, you know, sometimes I've had to kind of picture it like a, you know, use the metaphor of a river where, you know, you're flowing downstream and you, you come upon boulders and you sort of figure out how to flow around them. And so that's uh, that's kind of been a metaphor that's guided my work as well. So how does the report differ in its objectives or its findings from the 2004 plan? Um, the 2004 plan was um, was a wholly different document. Um, it pretty much it was it was very lightweight, you know. I think if you've seen it, so you probably <clears throat> wouldn't spend four hours on that document um, and then some, and you probably wouldn't skip pages. It, it was a very lightweight document, and actually, over half the document was was um, kind of a point in time uh, look at each of the 50 states. So, I, so I think it's, there's really no comparison. Um, in terms of kind of uh, the the work that was done, this document is um, like I said the work of many many people. Um, it was a, a contractor SRI um, that got got it started and had a, a fantastic technical working group of of folks that spent a lot of time um, really discussing and hashing over and doing a lot of writing and reading and researching for it. Um, and the technical working group, you can you can see who was on that technical working group in the in the plan. Um, but then it was um, put on the web, and there were, was a lot of input, um, con, you know, continuous kind of feedback, and and like I said, case studies and people's ideas and examples. Um, but I think it, it, the the design really um, was focused on how do we lay out a broad vision, a big, tall, broad vision for transforming American education and, you know, as it says, learning powered by technology, and um, make sure that it's absolutely tied to the ground with reality, the reality of teachers, the reality of students, the reality of, of, um, of uh, you know, any, anybody in this space, you know, teacher education, really wanted to provide goals, recommendations, and um, and ideas for action uh, that people could really kind of look, see themselves in, and and, and take away right away. So it's definitely driven by a concern about uh, U.S. achievement and by goals set by President Obama. Um, as you were looking at, as you were creating the plan and then talking about it, how much did you look at the technology practices of other countries? in order to think about what we do here? Um, there, is, there, is, there is so much going on across the world. Um, I think in the, in the case of, I think a lot of people, you know, Chris Didi, for example, um, is, is involved with what's happening in other countries. A lot of the people working on the plan um, pulled in examples from different places around the world. So I would say it, it definitely was informed by pretty much anything we could get our hands on. Um, you know, a lot of great work through BEFTA in the UK has happened over the years, and and that's you know, like like I said, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's that's other um, work that we that we looked at. Any research that has been done, you know, looked at research. There's an extensive uh, reference section in the back. Um, but we really also want this has been the the United States the National Education Technology Plan. So we wanted to to then ground it in the U.S. education system. Well, the reason I asked was um, Yong Zhao has been a guest on the show a couple of times, and there's this sort of tension between are we succeeding or are we failing? You know, is China um, growing as a world power because they've opened their markets or because of their education system? And I, I actually wondered as I read the report, how unique is our, we tend to be very, as a country, we tend to be very sort of entrepreneurial, innovative, and unique. I uh, wondered how unique is this approach to technology and education, or if we were to look at Finland or Singapore, do they have comparable kinds of pushes, or is this sort of part of what makes us unique? 
first of all, I want to go back to something you said. I mean, we definitely have a burning platform in education in the United States today. We have about a quarter of our students break, drop out of school. Um, you know, about 50% of our minority students drop out of school. Um, we have um, 93 million adults that are um, undereducated. You know, 44% of the adult population of a state like Michigan, um, you know, is is I would say undereducated. You know, without a um, uh, high school um, graduation um, in their pocket and we have um, we have a lot of work to do. We have we have we really cannot continue. Um, the economy suffers. The um, the personal lives of of individuals suffer. Um, we do think education is the only way out of poverty. I mean, we have a burning platform. We have an incredible need to quickly and um, and uh, carefully. Um, Really fix our education system so that way more people can get can be successful. And not only that, I want to point out that this plan is really um, it's uh, it's pre-K through you know all the way to career. So we're really thinking about improving the opportunity for every adult to learn. So it's so it's it's definitely a a broad-based plan. So I don't want to lose I don't want to lose that 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 we really. Now is the time to totally power up the system because the current situ in the current situation we are failing way too many students every single day. I think that comes through pretty clearly. Uh, you give some good statistics and that you give here and in the report as well. Uh, you know, actually, there's the phrase sort of we need a revolutionary transformation. Um, there's the discussion of a, of a complete redesign. Um, so I, I think that comes through uh, pretty well. If I wanted to give the listeners who haven't looked at the report a kind of a sense of how it's organized, there are the five uh, core components, learning, assessment, teaching, infrastructure, and productivity. Under each component, you have a, sort of a model, then goals, and then recommendations. And then you have the kind of action plan getting started now. Did I get that all right? Um, pretty close. So each of the chapters, as you said, they have a, a, a kind of their whole articulation, lots of examples, and then the goals and recommendations. There's an executive summary. Um, the first part is an executive summary. And at the end of the executive summary is where we added a section that was not in the draft, um, but enough people said, this is all well and good, but what do we do first? Like, how do we get started? So we added this section called Getting Started Now. Um, once we uh, it, for the for the final um, the final and then there's kind of this bonus section that's all about research and development and kind of what needs to be invented what are the grand challenges um, how can we really engage uh, and uh, and uh, kind of create a much more robust R and D on infrastructure for uh, learning technologies. So what kind of responses are you getting to the plan? We've gotten great responses, and, and someone said to me the other day, um, actually, one of the comments I'll tell you, Steve, uh, somebody said it was a page turner. So I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know about that. But, um, but the, 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 we've gotten great responses. And one of the things someone else said the other day was that the, um, you know, a lot of times government documents kind of get published and, and sit on the shelf or whatever. And this one definitely has continued interest. There's, there's so much to it, I think, that it, that it has continued interest, and it and it, um, you know, we've we've gotten great great uh, feedback. We've gotten great feedback internationally. Um, we've gotten good feedback from organizations such as, um, you know, the, the um, school administrators or the, um, you know, different different associations. One of the things that that I've really tried to do is take technology in education from being kind of a vertical slice, um, you know, kind of like you people over there in the technology office, you deal with technology, to being a horizontal slice and really figuring out how to, how to infuse technology um, across all of the different goals that people are working on. So the people are interested in highly effective teachers and leaders. How can technology help, um, help produce and support highly effective teachers and leaders? Um, whether we're talking about literacy or English language learning or career and technical education or you know STEM subjects um, or special special needs students, exceptional students, what are all the different ways that technology can really power up all of those areas and and help students um, 
help students be more successful. Karen, there was a long public vetting process that you described. Uh, even after that, now, um, have you discovered anything that you wish that you'd addressed? Or has anybody made a critique where you felt like, oh, we, we, we could have handled that differently? Uh, not that I can think of. I think we've been able to pretty much stand on the stand on what we've published. Um, um, there's definitely uh, work that can be done. So obviously, this isn't a, a static like, okay, we published this and now we're done. It's like, okay, we published this now. Let's get going. Let's let's figure out kind of what we need to do. What are the projects? What's the research? What you know? What can we stand up that will that will um, that will really create the uh, the, uh, the the possibility for people to actually implement these kinds of things. In, in the uh, getting started now, I think it's that section, the, sort of the action plan. There's a lot of convening that will take place, convening different groups to talk about these different issues. So it seems like you feel like that's really important. Well, part of it is that so the getting started now is actually also focused on what we can do as federal government. So rather than so one of the things we've been trying to encourage people to do is to say how you see yourselves in this plan. If every state or every you know district or or you know if different entities, professional associations and others, colleges of education could kind of create their own getting started now, that would be really interesting because. Um, what we did is for this section, as you'll notice, it's the Department of Education can um, throughout that. And so one of the things that we can do as a department is pull people together, get the conversations going. We can fund research. We can fund, uh, or we can, you know, um, we can uh, kind of focus in on different projects. We can do contracts to do development work and that kind of thing. So the getting started now is really focused on what we can do and what we can support as a department. So I, I want to kind of dive into each of the sections. Uh, one of the interesting uh, sort of uh, tensions that, it, that, um, that I felt like the report reflects is the tension between uh, local and sort of higher level or more national. Um, and you know, measuring and what were the, are those measurements used at a local level or even a student level or at a national level. Uh, what really stuck out to me in the learning section was putting the students at the center and empowering them to take their control of their own learning. And yet at the same time, it felt like the, the assessment piece was largely uh, something done to students rather than the students doing themselves. Is that just an inherent tension we have in our, in our desire to try and understand how you put students at the center? You know, I actually don't think so. I think what we're trying to do with the with the learning section is, as you say, put the students at the center, figure out how to get the learning opportunity as closely as close and personal um, to the student as possible. The assessment section actually, we tried to do the same thing. We tried to say, how can we make sure that any kinds of assessments that are that are um, created, and I, I can say more about that in just a second. But how do we make sure that those things are for the purposes of helping people get better every day? So the whole purpose of the the assessment section was to say, you know, let's see if we can get away from this once a year kind of thing and get to, you know, and then people say, okay, well, we'll do, you know, benchmark and you know, four times a year or eight times a year, and it's like, no, we want to do every four minutes or every eight minutes. Like, how do kids and teachers know? Minute by minute, kind of how they're doing, and and how do we, how do we really increase and improve the feedback loops um, to the to the as as close to the ground as possible, make it as personal as possible. And all of the people on this call, I know, already know this. You know, when when students publish or when students do work and they get feedback, you know, from wherever their feedback might come from, um, they're they're. They're they're much more motivated and interested and um, and engaged in what in their work and so the assessment section really was about um, turning assessments into information that's very useful uh, all the time not thinking about assessments as that accountability thing that we've turned it into but really turning back turning assessment back into feedback for improvement. Yeah, as I read that section, I really wondered about, um, you know, we live in a world in which oftentimes there's so much information that it's hard to 
uh, really grapple with um, the the what the information tells you and how it tells you that. Did the committee end up um, kind of having to, to go through that question of um, having a lot of data doesn't mean you're necessarily using the data well. So where do you put that responsibility? You know what? That's a great question, and and I and I'm going to have a hard time. Like I said earlier, the kind of evolution of ideas. I'm not sure if this was you know before the plan was published, but one of the things that um, we've definitely been talking about, um, and I know a lot of you are also thinking about this, is how do we use data um, uh, for how do we use data to get the best thing back to the to the students and teachers. And so for example, um, we've been thinking about how this happens in the consumer space and how are consumer companies getting better and better at targeting advertisements or targeting content for you. And the, you know, the, the usual thing is like, well, you do the you know, other people like you like this other stuff, which is now sounds very almost trivial, but to make that happen in education is not at all trivial. And so um, really trying to figure out how the data um, can really be turned into information and also turned into the next thing. I had somebody from Google tell me that the reason that you want to human tag content is so that the machine gets better and better and smarter and smarter at tagging content, right? So likewise, when, when I look at people's um, data systems and they say, look at all this beautiful data and now we're going to do all this professional development to teach teachers how to be analysts and, and understand what to do with the data. So on one level that is excellent and we do want teachers to really be incredibly data literate and understand you know, how to use data. Um, on the other hand, we also then can use that information to make sure that what's returned to the student leverages the data so that, the, that again, the, the, in the case of consumer, it's the advertisements get more and more personal. But in the case of learning, it's the what's fed back to the students as the next thing to do or the next in, engagement or the, the next you know, data set to grapple with or whatever gets smarter and smarter and, and closer and closer to the most relevant thing that that student could, could get next. So that's it. A little bit of a, a sort of a complex idea, but we've really been thinking about how um, data um, can be used um, to return to the students what the, what is most useful, rather than simply just kind of collecting data and then asking teachers to manually, um, you know, read it and decide what to do all the time. Well, that definitely comes through in the plan, sense. at least for me it did, in this sense that there are things we're going to need to learn. As you discussed, as the plan discusses the learning dashboard, I immediately thought of the, uh, you know, the Prius with some sense of, okay, here's what your fuel economy is, and the degree to which that kind of instant feedback uh, drives is the wrong word in that context, but, you know, kind of motivates you. And it seems like that's a really powerful imagery the sense that you get that same kind of regular feedback. And then we can figure out what feedback's working to help make a difference. Exactly. And again, it gets smarter and smarter the more it's used. Okay, so um, there's just no way we're going to get through all of the sections here. Um, in infrastructure, I was really interested in the online learning communities, of course. And one of the things that, that, uh, that uh, my background brought to that section was the degree to which oftentimes participation in those communities is less about efficiency and more about a conversation and a finding a comfortable place. Did you talk at all about balancing the desire to kind of centralize and encourage um, you know, good formal structures with the kind of the, the the way in which social networks develop at grassroots levels. Yeah, no, you're talking about the teacher section, right? You, you said infrastructure, but I think you meant the teaching well, section. Well, actually, online learning communities right? are mentioned in both, but you're right. So address it either way. Okay. So yeah. So um, what I yeah. So the teaching section. 
the teaching section was actually the hardest section, and, and people have heard me talk about this before probably, but it was very difficult because we did not want to get to the end of the teaching section or somebody reading it and saying, oh, I get it, technology is going to replace teachers. You know, kind of on the contrary, we want technology to totally power up teachers to help them be as successful as possible. And the notion that we ended up on was to say we want teachers to be highly connected. The best teachers that I know or the most innovative or creative teachers are also teachers who happen to be highly connected. Um, they have their own kind of personal learning networks. They know where to get information. They have, you know, again, teaching is a social, a social um, art uh, and science, so to speak. Um, so that whole notion of the highly connected teacher um, was, in, was really, really an, an important and, and carefully thought out. At one point we were calling it highly instrumented. And we use the analogy of kind of the airline pilot who can fly manually, and we still want pilots in the airplanes. But we we create we have provide all of the instruments and the control tower and all of these other things to make to help the to augment the skill of the pilot and help the pilot be as successful as possible. But the highly instrumented made it sound like it was all science and no art, and so we dropped that and talked about the highly connected teacher. But so you, so that's just kind of to give you a sense of the thought process. But the um, but what so one of the projects that we're doing now is um, we're launching kind of design research around this whole notion of, of communities of practice, and you I mean I know again people on this call are really um, involved in social networks and are highly connected. So we're trying to figure out number one how what is the what are the most successful and helpful useful timely. Um, practices that we can, um, you know, basically explode on the internet, so that teachers know where to go to find information, and not just lesson plan banks. It's kind of we've said, oh, let's you know put up a teacher site. We'll put a bunch of lesson plans online. But rather, how do we make sure that teachers have what they need every single moment, so that they can, you know, again be be successful. So if they, you know, if they need access to an expert, if they need to. Um, Collaborate with peers if they want to attend, you know, like this, a conversation online. If they so, really try to figure out all the best practices for creating these communities of practice. But there's a part two to this whole design process that that you know is I think really interesting if we can figure out how to do it. And this is really about um, who am I as a professional educator. And so if we could create this system whereby every professional educator had their own persistent profile and they maintain their profile kind of like your Facebook profile or your LinkedIn profile or whatever, but it's really kind of a launch space to who am I as a professional educator. And that would include things like what am I interested in, what communities are, am I a part of, what have I contributed, you know, what am I trying to figure out. Um, and in this persistent profile then that would be the launch spot to go to a lot of different communities of practice that people are involved in. So for example, you meet someone at a conference and you're interested in what they're talking about, whether it be a peer that you meet in the hallway or someone you listen to speak, um, you can then find them online much like in a friend network, but it's a professional network. And then you can see what are the communities that they're part of and you can either you know, aspire to be part of those communities, or you can just join them, or you can contribute to them, or you can, you know, learn from them, or whatever. So we're really trying to think about this ecosystem of interconnections, both to promote the professionalism of every individual teacher, and also to promote the profession and raise the profession up as a whole. We want to inspire. We want to. Um, you know, kind of invigorate the profession, and but overall help people to have what they need when and where they need it, and help them also to have an outlet for for creative and um, interesting work that they're doing. So it's intriguing because I. So that's the teaching. No, no, effect. good, good. So as I look at the list of people in this call, there's so many here who I feel like fall into this area of having kind of stepped up through the grassroots to uncover or discover really unique and interesting ways of gathering people or creating those connections. And I, and I just wonder where that will fall out. And maybe that's just something that will have to evolve. But somehow finding a way to still encourage that kind of innovation from those kind of people. 
Oh, t totally. And so, again, what we want to do is figure out the people who have, who are the people on this call, all of you who are already have a very robust, a robust personal learning network, and you think about some other people that may work around you, and do they just ask you and you ask your personal learning network, or how do we help every single person, every professional educator, starting in pre-service, to begin to develop their learning network as well as their connections, um, again, in a, in a very organic way and also a very organized way. Um, you know, um, I, and one of the things that we're talking about is we need to, you know, interview and do case studies with people who already are very connected and find out, you know, what are the most useful things, what are the time savers, what are the time sinks, you know, what are the, what are the kinds of things that are most useful. So that's the that's this project that we've embarked on. Fascinating. Okay, um, in infrastructure, uh, there's nice mention of open educational resources, but I didn't see any mention of open source software. Did it come up at all? Yes, and I think that um, I'm not sure why there's not a you know I actually can't think of the top of my head if there's a mention of it or not. But but really, I mean it's it's both. We we definitely wanted to. And we still want to. We want to figure out the ways that um, free and fee-based resources can peacefully coexist. Much like you know, you have the network televisions, and then you have PBS. You have you know, there, we can if we do this correctly, then the 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 kinds of resources that you purchase are going to be purchased for a reason, and it's going to be because they're really Really good, and there's, a, there's, you know, we want to sustain those, and we want to make them better, and they're, they're better than any of the stuff you can get for free, or they're, you know, different than the stuff you can get for free or whatever. So, but we want to create a situation where free software, open software, open source software, open education resources, and fee-based, all of the above, um, really uh, all have the opportunity to, um, to thrive, so to speak. They have we, they have a marketplace. One of the things we definitely notice and and that we know is that the market place in education is incredibly fragmented. It's really difficult to sell into the education space. And you know, I mean, I know you know I, I worked in corporate as well, so it's um, it's a fragmented space. Whether you be a, a textbook publisher or a small startup or a large you know tech company or or a service organization, um, you really need to go school to school, sometimes district to district, and hardly ever state to state to, to sell your wares. And we want to we want to figure out how to how to fix the market so that the best uh, tools and resources can find the people who need them. So just a couple more quick questions for me, and we'll we'll shift to Q and A. I've I made note of a couple of questions in the chat. Uh, if I ask them and I've missed yours, please post it again. Or at the, at the moment, I'll have you raise your hand and you can ask a question through the microphone. Karen, um, the plan asks us to rethink some basic assumptions like seat time and age-determined groups. It also is pretty positive about uh, student internet devices. As I was reading the plan, I kept thinking, how is the average parent going to feel about this? Um, does the, do the parents represent kind of an intriguing constituency because sometimes they actually feel pretty good about how things are going and might be reluctant to see some of these changes? Uh, you know, I, I actually don't think we can generalize about parents. I've talked to a lot of parents over the last year and some parents, um, some parents are, some parents have the response of, you know, my kid's fine, you know, I, you know, don't mess with this because, but that's those are sometimes parents who have a lot of technology at home. Other parents who have a lot of technology at home are like, yes, please get get this into school so my kid is not, you know, disengaged in school and then engaged at home. Or please get this into the school so the kids who are, you know, maybe not as engaged in school or causing problems or whatever have something to do. Um, there are, you know. There, and fabulous teachers have figured out how to engage kids with technology, without technology. So the role of technology really is, again, to, to, to power up um, what's happening. One of the things that we have, the, the chapter on productivity is really about 
how do we make sure that um, all of the barriers to creating the most productive learning environment possible are gone? So things like um, getting rid of seat time and going to a competency-based model, things like um, smoother transitions um, between what maybe was traditionally considered fourth grade to fifth grade, um, you know, so that if so more kind of uh, seamless transitions be between uh, grade levels, so if a student does you know, progress faster, they're, they're accommodated. Um, the kinds of things that um, there's some discussion that states would have to grapple with on, on kind of the reciprocity agreements with online courses and, and teachers and that kind of thing. These kinds of things that we identified that are barriers to creating the most productive learning environment possible. And I want to say one other quick thing because um, just as I listen to myself talk, sometimes I, I don't want anybody to think that we're talking about individualized learning as in everybody kind of plugs in to a headphone and they get online and they do stuff at their own pace. The, the, I, on some page in the learning section, there's a sidebar that kind of defines individualized learning, differentiated learning, and personalized learning with individualized learning being kind of everybody does the same stuff but at their own pace, differentiated learning being they do the stuff at their own pace, but, and we also offer different models, different methodologies for, for teaching and learning. And then personalized learning is, is bringing in that long tail of interest and that every student isn't necessarily doing exactly the same thing. But personalized learning is also very participatory. So if you think about really the great uh, challenges that kids can grapple with or the kinds of you know, problem-solving kinds of environments or the, the you know, more complex projects that students can work on, um, those are the kinds of things that we want to regain time in the school day so that kids have, have time uh, energy, space um, to do those kinds of things, and that those things contribute to the to the kind of the the, the common core or the, the kinds of uh, things that we want all students to learn. Thanks, Karen. We are going to switch to Q and A now. Uh, I've made note of four or five questions, and if you would like to ask a question with the microphone, you can raise your hand. That's the hand arrow with the green hand icon with the green up arrow the bottom of your participant window. Uh, please do go up to Tools Audio and make sure that you've run the Audio Setup Wizard before you do that. Uh, Karen, uh, Skip said, in your opinion, how closely is this plan tied to political interests? When administrations change, what happens? Well, you know, that's where, I mean, that's a good question. And I think what we and I don't know if you're talking about administrations in terms of like the entire country or if you're talking about like a school district administration, I mean they're kind of all levels. But I think that what we really want to do is, is everything that we're thinking about, how do we really create a learning nation? How do we make sure that everybody who wakes up in the morning has the opportunity to learn what they need to learn, whether it be somebody who's you know, 35 years old and needs to retrain and get a new job and decides to be a medical technician but decide, realizes that they don't have the math skills to do so. Um, so we, we are really trying to do things that are not dependent on um, get some things really sort of institutionalized or, um, or kind of practices that would, that would um, survive a kind of a change in administration. Um, you know, we really talk a lot about um, transparency and making sure people understand kind of decisions that are made and why and, and publishing, publishing a lot of things, um, information data sets and those kinds of things. I think all of those things will be practices that, that kind of can live on. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that sustainability is, is incredibly important and um, we're really trying to focus in on those kinds of things that would that would live on. The, back to the competency and seat model, seat time um, environment. If we can, if we can, you know, move to some of those more productive uh, practices, I think those are the kinds of things that would survive uh, past a past an administration. Back to the question about devices. If we can get to a point where students, as a matter of practice, just like they have in the past, had a bucket full of textbooks. If we could get to the point where each student has a device that is full of textbooks or full of materials or learning resources or whatever comes beyond textbooks, um, that's something I think that will 
live on, that we couldn't go back to a practice of handing them a, a large pile of, of textbooks if we get this uh, more institutionalized. So Peggy uh, makes the point that she was listening to Chris Lehman from Science Leadership Academy, where they had a, a conference this weekend called EDUCON. And Chris said, everything in the plan was Science Leadership Academy. He was very enthusiastic about it. However, he felt it was very different from the federal direction for education, such as the Race to the Top and NCLB. Do you hear that often? You know, it, um, we, we, I do hear it sometimes. Um, the, but I think what we're trying to do is, um, is build a better bridge between all of the things happening with technology. And this has been really, you know, I've been here a year, and some of the work really is trying to get a broader understanding. And I'll tell you, there's been a, an amazing amount of progress in this, but a broader understanding about how technologies can really, um, really, again, as I said, help support all the different goals um, of ESEA reauthorization or, or you know, of everything everything is happening across the department. And that is actually becoming um, more understandable. Um, the, you know, really the, the whole concept of Race to the Top is to say, you know, let's, here are some things that we think will move the needle, some things that would, would evolve um, education reforms and, um, and see what people can do with them. You know, I think that there have been some amazing things happening. The state of California with their, the, the seven superintendents who got together to, to really kind of craft their race to the top response. They didn't get funded, but they got they have an, an amazing um, huge leap forward in the in the kinds of work that they will that they will do together, that the superintendents will do together. So um, I think there's I think there's more synergy than it may seem like, but it's an incredibly complex environment and so it's hard to articulate. I'll say one last thing about that and that is that um, just in, in uh, December, the, and I don't know how interesting this is to people, to me it was fascinating because three White House offices came together to have a convening on learning technologies. So a year ago, that was very far from their thinking. So the National Economic Council, the Domestic Policy Council, and the Office of Science and Technology Policy were the three offices. The Office of Science and Technology Policy, obviously, they do think about learning technologies, but the Domestic Policy Council, the National Economic Council, really hadn't you know, put, put emphasis on um, learning technologies. And so, again, there's a lot of, a lot of progress happening across, across government. Karen, Skip asks, how can we encourage teacher preparation programs to prepare teachers toward the ends in this document? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that a couple things. One is this community of practice work that we're doing. If we can start building in some of these common practices um, into the pre-service so that teachers, when they're going to want aspiring teachers, begin to see themselves in a profession that is highly connected, um, that's one thing. The second thing, you know, I just have, I think that's a lot about, you know, muscle memory, so to speak. and so. Um, I think it was Kyle Peck at, uh, at, at Penn State that said um, that teachers have 15,000 hours of muscle memory about what it's like to sit in a classroom when they go into teaching. So pre-service teachers have sort of a preconceived notion about what it is to be a teacher and what it feels like to be a learner, mostly in a traditional setting. And so with part of what has to happen in teacher education is to provide teachers the opportunity and the experience and what it feels like to be a learner in a very um, kind of involved, uh, you know, challenging, problem-solving um, type of type of a setting. So I think that's something that that you know needs, we also need to power up our higher education environment so that people kind of see themselves as learners. I think that's been one of the great themes of Web 2.0 and. Um, sort of the edge of blogosphere or the, the personal learning networks is that so many of those who are active and who have then created their own kind of unique new uh, ideas um, got re-engaged in the profession through their own learning process. Absolutely. 
I, I think that okay, that's, you know, so, one of the things um, that we... Go ahead. Telephone live, but telephone live, but it's your turn. Okay. The um, what I was just going to say about the um, about learning is one of the things that everybody can do back, you know, at home or with their, um, you know, their constituents is really engage everybody in that conversation about what it means to learn in the 21st century. You know, so you can ask parents, you can ask business people, whoever. You know, when you ask them, if you wake up in the morning and need to learn something new, what do you do? And you start really engaging people in the conversation about what it means to be a learner. And then, you know, usually they, they talk about things about, you know, going online or, or doing a search or finding, figuring out the questions or reaching out to their friends or, or their social networks or whatever. And so once you start to drill down on what it means to be a learner, it sets kind of a nice framework for the kinds of learning environments that we're trying to incorporate into our schools. I love that, and um, I'm wondering, did the committee talk at all about the kind of programs that people like Tony Wagner at Harvard and others have done where they really encourage local meetings of parents, teachers, and administrators, and students to talk about education? Oh, uh, I, I don't know that we specifically talked about that in the plan, but I definitely think so. And I think that an incredibly important constituency group is Students, obviously, um, you know, uh, Tom Kelly with IDEO talks about, you know, in when he talks kind of the ten faces of innovation. One of his practices that he totally advocates, which seems like it would be second nature to teachers and 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 folks in schools, but it isn't necessarily. But he talks about having a reverse mentor, somebody who is young, much younger than you, maybe a student, maybe a young teacher or whatever, that is that you meet with as a that mentors. You as a as a professional, like you know, who is it that can give you a sense of the world from a, from maybe a different perspective? Okay, so we have a couple minutes left. If you have a question for Karen that I have missed in the chat, please post it again. Uh, I did combine a few questions that were somewhat related. Um, if you would like to raise your hand and ask a question using the microphone, please feel free to do so. That's the hand with the green up arrow. Um, Karen, it feels like there are so many different views of education. Um, as I kind of thought of some of the uh, of KIPP, big picture schools, high tech high, Florida virtual school, um, I've, I've wondered why they often, we have such good examples that often get ignored. And did you see a way in which technology could help that? Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know what, one of the things that I think too, we have not in this country at all figured out how to scale up practices. So there's a couple reasons, I think. One is that we have this notion of evidence, and we have this notion that we need to do kind of intensive research before we believe something is a good idea and that it will help kids learn. And so um, I'm not saying evidence is a bad thing, but we you know when you but we I think we need to figure out how to take things to scale very fast and then very quickly get information about it and see if it see if it's working. Um, but I think that there is um, you know for the for the systems and the programs that work, if you talk to people that that are working in some of these either charter management organizations or some of the design frameworks for schools that that have been somewhat catching on, they catch on at an incredibly slow rate. The expansion capacity is very slow. And I don't think we've figured out how to leverage technology to scale up the environments. So for example, if you take you know, New Tech High, I, a year or so ago I, I met with some folks from New Tech High and they, were, they spent something like 20 to 40 hours designing projects. And that is all well and good, but it's not sustainable. And so a system whereby people can design once and perfect over and over and over again or maybe customize a little bit for your classroom. I think we need to get to these scenarios where people are um, not having to recreate the wheel. And part of this is because our best um, materials for schools have been in the form of textbooks. And you know, I don't have any, any problem with you know, the best textbooks, but it, textbooks are inherently print-based. And, and print is inherently disabled in this day and age. You can't, it can't take you deeper. It can't, you know, hyperlink to other things. It can't show you pictures or videos or 
simulations and it can't um, you know, it can't bring to life, it can't connect you with other people. So if you think about teachers that have been having to figure stuff out by themselves over and over and over again, we have not figured out how to scale out the kinds of practices that do in, that are the most engaging, interesting, inspiring um, kinds of projects. We need to let the technology to do that. I'm intrigued by how often it seems like um, a pressing demand will uh, create the change where years of pedagogy and um, and policy were not able to. Um, and in, in particular, I'm thinking of um, you know funding issues driving the adoption of online learning in districts in order to keep students in the district. Um, are, do, do you see some places where that's really making a difference, where some very practical realities are driving people to appropriate adoption? Yeah, um, I think you know. I think going forward, it is going to be this this crazy budget crisis that is going to require people to think differently about the kinds of learning opportunities that we're we're giving to students. Um, I think we're going to have to leverage technologies. We're going to have to leverage online environments. We're going to have to le leverage experts. We don't have the experts in the you know the STEM subjects. That um, that we need, and and we won't in our professional lifetime. We even if we do a fantastic job of recruiting and training, we still won't be able to staff up every single school. So we have to come up with better online environments that we can scale out experts, and then develop the people that are in classrooms to be great facilitators, great coaches. Maybe in some cases, rolling up their sleeves right alongside the students and learning with them. Um, and maybe aspiring, you know, maybe aspiring to be, um, you know, better and better every single year. But I think that we really do need to figure out, um, and I think the budget crisis is going to push us to figure out better ways and much more productive ways of providing a, a, the best possible learning environment for every student. Karen, is there a reason that? Um, there was a six-year gap between the previous plan and this one? Um, only uh, by statute that Congress asked for one every five years. Um, I think this one got started five years out, but it, this one took, you know, about, what was it? I guess it was about a year and a half to complete. Okay, so it was within the, I didn't realize there, there was a five-year pattern there. Um, how likely, how long are you likely to be in this role? <laughs> That's a great question. I will say here um, for the Obama administration. Okay. Is my current, but you, it's my current idea. That's my current plan is to, uh, to support the Obama administration. It's a, it's a tremendously um, invigorating and interesting place to be. The State of the Union speech last week, um, you know, focused on three things, and that was learning, and, or education, innovation, and infrastructure. And you know, in the education space, obviously, powering up education for every single student. In the um, in the innovation space, we're talking all about innovation and innovative learning environments, and how do we leverage the best possible innovations to, again, power up learning. And then in the infrastructure space, we're talking about broadband and building out the, the learning infrastructure in the country. So it's incredibly aligned uh, you know, um, the, the goals of the Obama administration, and um, it's just an incredibly interesting place to be. So I'm here for the time being. Karen, thank you so much for making the time to be a part of this. I'm clapping for you. I you can use the very, clapping hand. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I have one question for all the listeners. I would love to hear from you specifically on the um, the notion of how you learn and what how do you think about your own personal learning network and the places that you go and what are your practices around um, being a highly connected uh, professional educator. And how do you want them to respond to you? Oh, you know what? Do you have a website they can put it on? Do you, can they respond inside a blog on your site? Yeah, I will post a forum discussion um, on that very topic. 
and we can I'll, we'll we'll um, we'll make it a part of the recording link so that people know they can respond there. That would be fantastic. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks everybody for coming. Really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget tomorrow, David Wiley on Thursday, Karen Hume. Uh, then we take a week break, and David Perkins starts us up on his book, Making Learning Whole. The recording will be up within the hour, uh, both the MP3 and the Illuminate recording. Uh, Karen, really appreciate it. I want to let you go because you know your time is tight. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, everybody. That was a lot of fun. Karen Cater on learning, transforming American education, learning powered by technology. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and turn the recording off. Uh, in order for it to process, we do need to have you exit the room. So uh, you can click on the X at the top right or go to file and exit, and I'll get that recording up uh, as soon as I can. Take care, everybody. Have a great night. <laughs>